Today we will uh, we'll wrap up the first part of our sermon series on unsung heroes of the Bible. We'll be looking to pick up back with this series after Easter with one of my favorite characters in scriptures, Mordecai. But we're not going to be talking about him today. As today our text will take us all the way back to Joshua chapter 2, where we meet a rogue turned heroine. The unsung hero we are focusing on this morning is a liar and a prostitute. She is not part of the Hebrew people, but is in fact a pagan and an enemy, and her name is Rahab. Once more, we're not going to read the entire text of Joshua 2, so I'll start this morning by kind of just bringing us up to speed. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Miriam, whose boldness saved the life of her brother Moses, the man who would eventually lead the people of Israel, the, the Hebrew nation, out of slavery and into freedom, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. But in order to do this, in order for the Egyptians to let the people of Israel go, God had to do some mighty works. Due to the stubbornness of Pharaoh, ten plagues hit the nation of Egypt. The Nile turned to blood. There was frogs in every pot. People and animals broke out in boils and sores. The sky darkened by locusts. And that's just to kind of hit a few of them. All through these plagues, the Pharaoh of Egypt and his advisors did their best to explain them away. Much like we are tempted to do, to do today, they saw the hand of God at work and tried to talk, chalk it up to coincidence or happenstance or just some weird anomaly. It wasn't until the final plague that Pharaoh's resolve cracked. The people of Israel were told to sacrifice a lamb and to paint their doorposts with its blood. In the night... The angel of death visited the land, and anyone whose doorpost was unmarked by the blood of a lamb lost the firstborn son of the house. Even animals were not spared. Pharaoh's son was taken that night, and in his grief, Pharaoh relented and allowed the Hebrew people to leave captivity and enter the freedom of the wilderness. And so they left. And the Bible tells us that God led them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. But once the people had gone, Pharaoh's grief turned to anger and rage. How could he have let this people, whose God had taken his son's life, leave? They needed to come back, or they needed to die. So Pharaoh called together his army, his chariots, and he set out after the Israelites, intending to bring them back to Egypt. The nation of Israel had reached the banks of the Red Sea when they saw the armies of Egypt coming to take vengeance upon them. They were trapped between a rock and a hard place, between the deep waters of the Red Sea and the sharp steel of the Egyptians. But God had Moses raise his staff, and God parted the Red Sea, and the people walked across it on dry land. As the last of them crossed the waters and reached the other side, the Egyptians arrived on the far bank and began to follow them through the channel. But once every Israelite was safely across, Moses lowered his staff, and the waters returned to their natural resting places, crushing and drowning the Egyptian army. The people were free. God had done fantastic things, incredible miracles to bring them their freedom. But though the people were given freedom, they were still sinful. 
They complained against God for their struggles in the wilderness that he had led them to. You see, God had promised his people a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised them the land of Canaan. And they wanted that land now. They didn't want to be out in the desert wilderness. They, they, wanted, <laughs> they wanted the luxury of Canaan now. And so in response to their grumbling and their complaining and their sinfulness, God made them wander the wilderness for 40 years. And before they crossed into the land of Canaan, even Moses himself had died. And so Israel had a new leader, and his name was Joshua. And under his leadership, the people of Israel settled in Canaan. But in order to take the land, they needed to take out their opposition. And one of the chief strongholds of the Canaanite people was the walled city of Jericho. Now, archaeologists tell us that Jericho was the first of its kind. This was the first city that built walls for purely military purposes. It was the first true fortress in known history. Now, there were a lot of people in the nation of Israel, but they were desert wanderers, still looking for a home. They had no means to tear down well-built city walls. And so Joshua sent spies into the city to look for weaknesses. Now, these were some interesting spies. They were apparently easily distracted and pretty bad at their jobs. In the beginning of Joshua 2, we read of Joshua sending the spies. And the first thing they did after entering the city was head to a brothel. They entered the house of Rahab, the prostitute, easily distracted. And then right away, the king of Jericho knows that they're there, and he sends his troops out to collect them from Rahab's establishment. These guys are spies, but they're found out like right away. They enter the city. King knows they're there. They're bad at their jobs. Word reached Rahab about the king's men coming, and she does an interesting, kind of funny thing. Instead of giving up the spies, she hides them under stalks of flax, a type of grain that she has up on her roof. So these guys are hiding in the roof, the rafters, if you will, when the king's men arrive. And then Rahab lies to the king's men. She admits that the spies visited her house, but then claims that they have since left. And she sends the king's men on a merry goose chase. Why? Why would Rahab do this? Why would she betray her people, lie to her king's men, and hide enemy spies in her house? The answers to those questions are found in the text that we'll be looking at this morning. We'll be reading from Joshua chapter 2, focusing on verses 8 to 14. If you have your Bibles with you, fantastic. If not, that's totally cool because the words are going to be on the screen behind me. And I invite you to follow along as I read the word of the Lord this morning. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof, this is Rahab, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, 
that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Stories hold power. It wasn't the tribe of homeless wanderers that caused the great walled city of Jericho to quake in fear. It wasn't their tents or their spears or their swords. No, it was the stories that came before them. The stories of plagues in Egypt. The stories of pillars of cloud and of flame. Stories of of the waters parting and the Red Sea crossing. The stories of the God who went with them and before them. In her statement to the Hebrew spies, Rahab admits that once the stories of their God reached the ears of the people of Jericho, their hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed. But fear alone does not answer the question of why Rahab helped the spies. It would seem to be more likely that her fear of the God of Israel would cause her to turn them over to her king and not hide them and and lie about it. In one of the more famous lines in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul asks the rhetorical question, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? He's drawing a line between hearing the stories of God and faith. And it is on this line that we find our heroine this morning. She's not someone we would typically think of as a, of a, think of as a heroine. You see, as we mentioned earlier, Rahab is a, is a prostitute. She makes her living through sin, and, and there are some that have struggled with this. In fact, some scholars and commentaries will refer to Rahab as an innkeeper. We still struggle, struggle to, to call our sin what it is, don't we? We, we want to dress it up so that it doesn't look as bad, and we certainly don't want our role models to be neck deep in it. We tend to prefer our heroes more in the mold of Captain America, Black Panther, Superman, and Spider-Man. Good guys who may be a bit naive and too good for their own good, but there probably wasn't much that was naive about Rahab. In her profession, she would have seen things and had things done to her that by their very nature wiped out innocence and naivete. And if her profession wasn't bad enough, how do we explain away her actions? Like the king's men show up and what does she do? She lies. Surely a true hero would have told the truth and then let God work to save the spies hidden on her roof. The God that parted the Red Sea couldn't spare or save two spies? Surely, surely she should know that lying is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And that isn't what heroes do. This isn't what heroes look like. So why are we talking about her as a hero this morning? We're talking about Rahab because Rahab's story gives wonderful evidence that no one is beyond the reach of divine mercy. Her story is one of the great salvation stories of the Old Testament. Here is a woman, a prostitute, someone that was not valued by society for honorable reasons, but instead makes her way through life giving pieces of herself to people who don't even truly care about her. And then she begins to hear some stories. 
Stories about a people from the desert. Stories about a people who escaped freedom and had some incredible and miraculous things happen to them. And though the people around her are overcome with fear, something different begins to grow in the heart of Rahab. The stories lead most of Jericho's residents to trepidation, but they lead Rahab to faith. The stories of the people of Israel resonate with Rahab. She believes them to be true and comes to the conclusion that the God behind them is the true Lord of heaven and earth. The stories of the God that is with this nomad nation generates faith within her. And this faith prepares her heart to take great risks in order to save her life and the lives of her family. We see this evidenced in verse 9 of our text this morning. Rahab refers to Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God among the Hebrews. He's not some lesser God to her, like the gods her people sacrifice to or worship in their many temples. She has accepted that he is above all gods. She believes in the Yahweh, the God of Israel. Stories have power. And stories of God have the power to bring faith. It was this faith that led her to hide the spies. It was this faith that led her to make the deal that deal with them that, made, that she made. And, and it was this faith that caused her to hang the red cord out of her window. We haven't got that far into Joshua 2 yet. But that's part of the deal that Rahab makes with the spies. They give her a red cord, a rope. And strike a deal with her. She is to hang the red cord out her window. And anyone that is in her house, the house marked by the red cord, will be safe. All of her family and friends who are safely within the four walls of her bordello will be saved when Jericho falls. But if she tells anyone what the spies are doing, then the deal is off. And Rahab agrees. The spies leave and Rahab hangs the red cord out her window. When Jericho falls to the Israelites, the house marked by the red cord, the house of Rahab and all who are inside it, is spared. It could be argued that Rahab was saved because of her works, right? She saved the spies. She hung the cord. She did what she was supposed to do, but it's also clear that she, wasn't, that she did what she wasn't supposed to do either. In order to save the men, she lied. How could we argue that she was saved because of an act of sin? And that's not even taking into account her profession. No, it was not the works of the deceitful prostitute that saved her. It was her faith. The faith that led her to hide the spies in the first place. The faith that caused her to betray everything she had ever known on account of a God she had just recognized as real. Rahab was saved by the same truth that we are saved by. For as Mike read earlier today from Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our relationship with God is not based on the good works that we have done. Like Rahab lying to save the spies, we sin even when we're trying to do the right thing. How thankful I am that it is not our works that save us, but the faith that has been given to us. We rest in the promise given to us through Christ, the promise that we have in the blood of the Lamb. 
Rahab's house, being marked by a scarlet cord, draws parallels to the Hebrew houses in Egypt being marked by the blood of a lamb. In the same way that the angel of death passed over the houses marked by blood in Egypt, so judgment passed over the house of Rahab marked by the scarlet cord. We don't need to kill any livestock or hang any red ropes out our windows for the judgment of God to pass over us. What we do need is faith. The faith that saved the Israelites back in Egypt is the same faith that was planted in Rahab's heart when she heard the stories about this amazing and powerful God. And it's the same faith that lives in believers today. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing that he is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did, and that he will do all that he has promised, through this faith, we are covered with the blood that he shed on our behalf on the cross. For there on that cross, the great exchange took place. There, Jesus took all of the sin that you, that I, that the world has committed and will ever commit, and there, on the cursed tree, he died for it paying the price that we could not. Christ exchanged himself for us, and so when we believe in him, we are covered by him, marked by him. We are not marked by the blood of livestock or a red cord. We are marked by the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God. And we rest in the faith that he has given us. Judgment passes over us. That's a wonderful truth. But it can be a hard one to wrap our minds around. How could God overlook the things in my past that I'm not proud of? I'm still, I'm still struggling with many of them myself. <laughs> How could God pass over the piles of shame and the mountains of regret that I have left in my wake as I've made my way through life? They stand as beacons for my failure. I try to be good, you know. I try to do the things that I'm supposed to, and I'm generally pretty good at walking the straight and narrow, but generally pretty, generally pretty good doesn't cut the mustard. Generally pretty good isn't good enough. But as we see with the story of Rahab, our salvation is not tied to our works. Our salvation is tied to our faith. Out of this faith, comes works. Works are the fruit of faith. Works are the result of the Holy Spirit moving in a person, shaping them, molding them to be more like Christ. Good works are a good thing, and we should strive to do them. The Bible calls us to do them. We're supposed to do them. But our good works do not save us. They flow out of the faith that has already done that particular work. How thankful I am for Jesus Christ, how thankful I am for a God who has seen us stuck in our failures and flaws, unable to reach his perfection, and instead of squashing us like we deserve, he has taken mercy upon us. He has shown grace to us. He has sent his Son to die for us. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have been marked by the blood of the Lamb, and judgment has passed over us. For on account of the blood of Christ, he has forgiven us. When struggles hit, when doubt about God's love for you and his ability to pass over you and your sins begin to rise, think of this hero in the Bible. Remember Rahab. If God can rescue Rahab, the lying Canaanite prostitute, no one is beyond his reach or his concern. I love the picture of the red cord hanging out the brothel window. 
The red cord transforms the bardello for sinners into a sanctuary for believers. Is there anything or anyone the blood of the Lamb can't redeem? No. No one is outside of God's desire or his ability to save. The story of Rahab is a call to have confidence in the mercy and grace of our God. And her story is one more display of God's provision, not just for us, but for the young nation of Israel as well. You see, once the dust settles, Rahab joins the Israelites and ends up marrying a Hebrew man. They have children together, one of them a son whom they name Boaz. His name may ring a bell as he is the Boaz that will marry the young widowed Moabitess, Ruth. But it is Rahab's great-grandson that is a little more famous. His name was David, and he became king over Israel. And so we see that Rahab joins Tamar as Canaanites, foreigners, who are part of the line of Jesus, part of the line of the Lamb of God. God does not discriminate with his grace. He pours it richly over all who believe, whether they believe themselves to be insiders or, like Rahab, outsiders. And through his love and mercy, he brings those who feel like outsiders in, into his family and into the riches of his grace. Church, friends, these stories and these promises are for you. May God be at work through these stories in your life as he is at work through the stories in the life of Rahab. What a fantastic, wonderful, amazing, and gracious God we serve. Amen.